This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mo Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Today's episode is another that is a long time coming for me. For you, yes. Yes. Because about a year ago, there was an event at um, Atlanta's Center for Puppetry Arts, which... um, was focused on women and puppetry, and we were trying to go there and record it and do a podcast on it, but based on availability of producers and hosts, it did not happen. Oh, and I've it's been the one that got away similarly to a lot of the interviews we've had lately that we finally have made happen. And I've recently with all the things like Dragon Con, right. which has a lot of puppets and a lot of puppetry panels, and um, Dark Crystal, right. the, the Netflix show, um, which I love. Uh, and in Atlanta, there's a Halloween tradition of this uh, puppet show called The Ghastly Dreadbulls. Right. And uh, was finally able to get some women in puppetry and make right. it happen. We got some big names in here in the puppetry world. As you told me before they walked in, I was like, oh, no, am I supposed to be nervous? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I kind of forgot what, because I, I have no idea in this whole world of puppetry. And I kind of forgot one of my favorite movies, which are, we're going to mention in the interview, which is Lily, which mm-hmm. was like the 1950s, 1960s old classic with one of my favorite actresses, Leslie Caron. I think that's how you say her name, Caron. Mm-hmm. She's French, French-American. I'm not really good at any of those things. <laughs> but she was a beautiful dancer. And there's this whole, and we talk about the synopsis of the film, about her interacting with all these puppets. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, I kind of was like, wow, yeah, there's a whole depth to puppetry that I didn't think of outside of Sesame Street. Right. And it's, it's interesting you say that because I never watched Sesame Street. Wow. Um, so I had like a reverse of what I think most people in, in at least the United States have where I never saw Sesame Street. Muppet Babies? No. No, none of those? Mm-mm. I did see Muppet Christmas Carol. Okay. Okay. Um, See, that's that, what I think of. Right. Um, for me, it was definitely Dark Crystal. That was something that when I was a kid, I was a weird kid, and I loved the movie. Well, I guess Labyrinth as well as Neverending Story yeah. is on those lines too. Yeah, and that's the thing. And I, I feel like a lot of us don't realize that we were seeing puppets in a lot of different forms, and that also is something we're going to touch on. Um, but I guess we should get into the interview because we keep spoiling I know. everything. It was very exciting. I, I felt like I learned a lot. It was a lovely interview, and uh, you'll hear from our guests, but um, some of them flew in today. Right, from Quebec. We have to go visit them during that little festival. I am planning on it. I am in 
in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a great conversation. And actually, we might follow up and have another because th- there are a lot of uh, women puppeteers uh, came out of the woodworks when I put out my feelers. You and sure I was like, did. ooh. So if any listeners are hearing this and thinking, ah, that's me, you should write in. Yes. But in the meantime, we'll let our interviewees introduce themselves. Hello, my name is Louise Lapointe. I come from Montreal in Canada, and I'm the director of Castelier, which is an organization devoted to puppetry arts, presenting puppetry arts. So every year we organize an international puppet festival, presenting performances for children and for adults. And also we have a regular season. Cool. That's cool. Hi, I'm Kristen Haverty, and I'm the producer at the Center for Puppetry Arts here in Atlanta, Georgia. And... Well, we don't have a festival. We present uh, work for uh, families and for adults uh, throughout the year. Uh, so, and also have a museum and education program as well. Cool. Yes, I'm a big fan, big fan, and I'm sure I would love everything you've got going on as well. But once I make it to Quebec, um, <laughs> anytime. <laughs> yes. uh, and we like to start with kind of a very baseline definitions on the show. So, if you wouldn't mind. What is puppetry? Because I think when a lot of people think about it, at least here in the States, there's one particular thing they're thinking of. Um, so if you could kind of expound upon what is puppetry. Oh, yeah, I think of Sesame Street. Exactly. That so. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's true. Puppetry in its essence is an inanimate object manipulated uh, in front of an audience uh, is is sort of my definition. Uh, but really, puppetry. There are so many different styles, uh, both in techniques and also uh, in uh, world traditions as well. Uh, there's it, it can really be so many things. Uh, it's a very visual form. Uh, it's uh, it's visual storytelling. As, uh, just like, uh, also. What do you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, in French, uh, we call it, uh, we are devoted to the arts of puppetry, including object theater, shadow theater, uh, marionette, uh, because, yeah, it's an um, incredible array of different techniques. And um, puppetry art is a complete art form. It's more uh, like opera because <laughs> it involves visual arts, theater, dance, movement, music. So it's a really complete and intricate art form and so poetic. So uh, that for me, uh, I agree with Christine's definition, but it's, uh, like I say, it's the arts of puppetry. Absolutely. Nice. Um, and if you wouldn't mind going into both of you, how did you get into this field? How did you get to where you are? Uh, myself, I studied in, first in visual arts in university, and then I wanted to go on studying but not do a master degree in visual arts, so I said, okay, I'm going to do another degree in theater, in technical production and scenography. And it was in school that I met a great puppeteer, and I was fascinated about the strength of the art form, so I decided to uh, devote myself to that afterwards. And so I worked for more than 20 years in Quebec at the Conservatoire d'Art Dramatique as a stagehand, props mistress, mask maker, and it allowed me to work with materials all the time, but still I kept a practice of building puppets on the side, and then I became a director of a festival, and I'm now I'm more presenting than building, <laughs> but I hope to come back to building soon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, for me, going back to Louise talking about puppetry being all the arts, uh, when I was a student, I was interested in music and uh, film and theater, and I was 
trying to find ways to combine them all into what I wanted to be when I grew up. And uh, I went abroad uh, to study my junior year in Prague and Bali, and both of those have incredible puppetry traditions. And suddenly it sort of clicked for me, and I realized that puppetry was such a vibrant art form, and I wanted to know more about it. So I came back and happened to my uh, college uh, professor, happened to be an amazing person in the puppetry field, Dan Herlin, uh, who is in New York and doing really great work. And so I studied with him after I was back and then went and toured for a year as a touring puppeteer uh, and in the Northwest, which was an amazing experience uh, for anyone who has ever been on a theatrical tour. <laughs> it's uh, it really you know gets you in the trenches and and is also just a really great learning experience uh, for how audiences respond because you're in a different town every day in front of a different audience. Really, uh, and so doing that with this puppetry company was really taught me about the art form and about performing in general. And then I moved to Atlanta, and uh, Atlanta has this amazing Center for Poetry Arts, and I started working as a teaching artist. I uh, worked as a docent. I worked as a... uh, did shows for XPT, which is our experimental puppetry theater program. Started performing uh, in the Ghastly Dreadfuls, uh, which is an adult puppetry show there, and uh, just basically did every job I could possibly do at the center. Uh, And then... I was, uh, the center was planning a, a international festival in 2000. It was going to happen in 2009. And my producer was looking for someone to help with that. And I said, I want to be a part of that uh, and uh, pushed my resume at her. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and uh, that, was, that was 10 years ago uh, since I worked on that. And uh, that was our producer, and she recently retired. And uh, now I've... Um, and the producer of the center, and it's so it's been a a, a long process, but I really loved working in puppetry and all of the possibilities that are inherent within that reform. Yeah, and that's something I personally really curious about um, because I've seen a lot of. I think people forget that there's puppetry in a lot of big movies, and you just don't think about it in the mm-hmm. same way, and you don't appreciate it in the same way, perhaps. Um, but I'm always curious about, like, because I'm an actor, uh, but, like, the performance of it and giving life to something in, in movement and in voice. Um, what about it? Is there something specific that drew you to puppetry, or is there something about it that you love that you find very unique to it? Well, I must admit, puppetry for me is a passion. It's uh, stronger than me. I don't know why I'm uh, consulting. (laughs) (laughs) But it's an art form that keeps uh, fascinating me because of its endless power of metaphorism, of poetry, of strength that uh, touch the human soul, not with the text necessarily. You can have text and puppetry, but not necessarily. And how a simple gesture, but the good one, can make you feel all sorts of... um, uh, feelings and also make you understand things. For me, it's a answer. It, puppetry arts they can answer some of the basic questions, and that's why I'm still interested so much into it. It's a passion. Mm-hmm. And and I think for me, it's also the, the the tactile nature of puppetry. Like especially thinking of films and uh, where 
there was a movement for a while to go CG and to go digital. Mm. And so many people are now going back to puppetry to achieve those effects because they're realizing there's just nothing quite like that actual physical object uh, being manipulated by an actual human being in real time. <laughs> right. I mean, stop motion, I guess, I, I just think of it as slowed down. Puppetry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, or, or sped up puppetry, I suppose. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but there's still, there's just something about an, an object coming to life that's, that's so part of just a really basic human impulse. And also, it just, it delights in a way that I think Digital doesn't always, and uh, I think that's also why I just keep coming back to the puppet. And it's fascinating right now because we see it in the schools, uh, younger children or even older. Uh, when they see a puppet show now, they're so fascinated by behind the scene and they want to see how the one arm is moving because they're so used to virtual screens all the time. And to go back to and see real matter move with a human being, they, they find again the joy of you know, <laughs> bricoli. <laughs> so yeah, it, right. uh, many companies talk about that, that after shows, meetings with the audience, you know, it's this fascination again. Oh, how does this work? And mm. So it's, but it's really mm. nice. <laughs> yeah. And you'll find, you know, not only visual artists and performers and dancers, but also like engineers really like puppetry because it's all about like, how, how do you make it work? You know, how, how do you achieve this effect? And sometimes it's a very simple mechanism, um, but sometimes it can get really complicated. And there's a real sort of puzzle to figuring out, oh, how, how do you create this, uh, this, this object to move in a certain way to achieve the effect that you want to on stage uh, or, or in a film or what, whatever it is. Um, yeah, um, when I watch something like The Ghastly Dreadfuls, which I love because it showcases all these different types of, of puppetry, I am so fascinated with, like, how did how did they do that? I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and something else I really like is looking back at the history of puppetry, which is something that the Center for Puppetry Arts goes into and around the world. Um, is that something that either of you or both of you can speak to, some of the history, or, or and especially women, because um, this show is about... Women and feminism, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, puppetry has a, a long history as in so many different cultures. Uh, actually, one reason why I was so excited that, that Louise could join us is that uh, <laughs> we're both part of an organization uh, called UNIMA, which is the oldest organization uh, in the... Oldest theater organization. Oldest theater organization in the, wor in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it's an association of puppeteers. And uh, so it's, uh, there are UNIMA centers in countries around the world. Um, that's how I originally met Louise, is they have congresses every four years. And there are an incredible amount of, of women leaders within that organization. Um, and, and I think in puppetry's history in general, I know in the States there's been many uh, strong puppeteers uh, who, who have been, been women uh, who have sort of shaped uh, at least American puppetry and there's, uh, and internationally as well. And currently there, there are many female puppeteers in, in film and TV. There's the, the Henson family. There are three really dynamic women that are all the daughters of Jim Henson who are currently uh, 
heading puppetry foundations and uh, and creating puppetry and and so the female presence in puppetry is strong, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I think in. Uh, puppetry is uh, is in almost every cultures, uh, every culture in around the world, almost uh, like masks. Um, and nowadays, there's a there are many more women studying puppetry. There's many men in the on in the field and performing, but in professional schools, for example, there there are many more women studying puppetry arts. I think it's not only puppetry but also visual arts. You know? Like in for example, in Montreal, we have a, now a master degree level in puppetry arts for since 2007. And it's a two-year master degree. And for the last two promotions, it's only women studying uh, the puppetry. So I think it's uh, it's too bad because it gives a... Why is that happening like that? Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, there's a very big interest by from for women in puppetry arts, and they're doing exquisite shows. Like you had um, Ashes here, uh, which is mm-hmm. a, a Norwegian puppeteer who's uh, world famous now, and uh, so now we see many excellent international companies led by women. Awesome. Yeah. Um, We have some more of our discussion around women in puppeteering, but first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use Arches and Halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Gotta tell you about Best Fiends. It's a game pretty much everybody's talking about. Morgan number two plays it sometimes before we start the show. You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out, which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family, all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of characters to collect. You know, there are new in-game challenges and events every month, so the game's always fresh. You'll never be bored with it. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. So, here we go. You don't want to miss out on the game. Join millions of Americans and a lot of us here on the show who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. Just go over there, hit download Best Fiends for free. Apple App Store or Google Play. That's Friends Without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends Without the R, Best Fiends. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Now back to the interview. One thing that I find fascinating about the history of puppetry um, is how it was able to provide commentary on social things when perhaps no one else could, when it was sort of a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And before I, uh, before we started recording this, I was reading about um, like puppetry used for empowering women in in South Africa and um, erotic puppetry in Turkey for women, uh, like something that they're able to comment on that maybe they wouldn't be able to. And so I'm wondering, what do you, how do you think that puppetry can transcend in that way? I, I also saw, I think one of the uh, panels um, at one of these festivals or conferences was about uh, using puppets for people who experienced sexual trauma or right. something, like using it mm-hmm. to help in that way. Just other ways that puppetry is this powerful right. art form. Yeah, I've seen it being used for child therapy. Like yeah. it's a form of therapy for a lot of children who's gone through trauma, and it's not necessarily that they're playing out trauma, but it's something to help kids speak up. What yes. is it? What is it about that? That is a good question because I've seen that as well. That children are able to communicate with things through the puppetry type of things. How does that? How does that even become a thing? That's that's fascinating too. Well, uh, puppetry and therapy it's a big association also around an international um, international <laughs> right. association. So yeah, it's such a useful and strong tool to do therapy, and you need uh, many uh, um, experts use it to deal with different traumas for with children and for adults. Mm-hmm. And I think because puppetry is so strong, because you it's a mirror, so you're not it's mm-hmm. not you talking or it's not. Uh, someone talking to you, it's the puppet, so it's much more easier to get the distance. And I'm not a therapist, but I, I know the power the puppet can have, and and I think that's why it's very strong. Right. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It's there's there's that sense of oh, it's the it's the puppet talking, um, right. and there's there's a safety in that, right. um, and and also in you know. Not only in therapy, but in uh, politics, I know that there's yeah. there's many instances in um, where it's there's the puppeteer has been able to to speak truth to power in ways that possibly the human would not have been able to or be allowed to. But because it was a puppet in a puppet show, uh, there was there was that distance or that that sense of it. You know, it's it's the puppet, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the the impetus for this episode, well, I guess, was two things. One, I fell in love with the Dark Crystal all over again. But two, mm-hmm. I, like a year ago, there was a panel on women in puppetry, and I totally I missed it, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Um, but uh, one of the women who was on the panel, when asked about like the differences in female characters versus male characters when it comes to puppets, that she said something like, I would um, always rather play a character that happens to be female. Um, But are there things that you've noticed or you've experienced that are different when it comes to creating female character in puppet form? In my experience, one of the values of puppetry is that you can be so many things that aren't what you physically... Right. Are you can you can as as a performer you can go you can stretch the boundaries of what maybe an audience might perceive you to be on stage. You can be five different characters that are completely different in look, size, uh, personality, you know, whatever uh, that is. I think you know there's. And there's certainly lots of 
males that perform female roles and sure. females that perform male roles in puppetry. And there's there's some value in that. Uh, I think that sometimes there, I mean, and this can be in, you know, it's not just exclusive to puppetry, but, you know, there, you can delve into stereotypes uh, that are not, that can be dangerous. Or not dangerous, but just uh Questionable, right? <laughs> um, think about them. <laughs> so, so I think that there's, you know, you still have to be very mindful of of representation, and because puppetry is such a strong representation, you 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 can create something that is your visual idea of what a character is, and that way, it's like it does bring up questions like. Why does the why does a witch always have to have like you know a certain look you know sure. or the, you know and um, and because you are you are able to physically sculpt create this this image of this character which is a combination of characteristics and it, it is it, it is a personality you know how how do you create that rich personality within your visual design. Um, that is mindful of of not drawing those very simple conclusions to oh this is this kind of character so it's going to look like this or right. um, so yeah it's I think that's always a challenge in puppetry um, I think I got away from the question though. <laughs> no that's great no that was, that was great so yeah I was going to ask because you were talking about that you were crafting you are creating um, and making these puppets what does it look like. Being behind the scenes and trying to create new characters, because as you were talking about, you have to keep up with the ever-changing representation. And as we know right now, there's huge controversy about all of the different types of representation. What does that look like today, especially as a woman who would be creating and crafting these characters? Well, I think puppetry stays a great tool to uh, yeah to fight against this gender ca- mm-hmm. characterization. And um, I'm thinking maybe that's why there's so many women studying it because it's. Uh, excellent way to uh, break molds and right. uh, propose something else. But creating different characters, I wouldn't have to think about this one because uh, when you create a character you fall, yeah, you have to adapt to, you are more sensitive to what's going on now for sure, but I don't know how it would show up in the actual mm-hmm. object. <laughs> well, how do you start creating something? Because well, I'm guessing you have to create, like, when you're going outside of the regular characters, how do you come up with these ideas? So, like, again, I'm thinking about along the lines of, like, creations like Cookie Monster or... And I actually remember the movie that I love, Lily. Yes. From, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> like, Moran was one of my favorite uh, dancers Me way too. back when. <laughs> um, but I was just thinking, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot. I used to love this movie, which was centered around puppetry and her yeah. falling in love with these characters. Mm-hmm. And these some of these characters are very unusual characters, as we see. How do you come up with these ideas? Or how do people? Well, to create a character, you start discussing with um, the director or if, mm-hmm. with yourself, if you are the director. <laughs> but you you make a discussion on what's the character about, what's, the, uh, what's his emotion, his, her emotions, with the, what's his movement, how does, he, how does it move? And then you, depending on your strength or um, what kind of technique you want to use, it's very different feeling if you use a long string puppet, marionettes, because the gestures are very much different than the hand and the glove puppet, which is a direct connection and very powerful. So you have to discuss that beforehand to see what you want to say again. (laughs) And then you start and research and... um, 
uh, what's nice uh, nowadays, it's uh, we can use uh, the traditional techniques, but also with the new medias, a lot of uh, our, um, puppeteers are working with projection, live videos, and it's bringing a, a breath of uh, a new breath of a new wind into the traditional puppetry art. So. Um, that's what I can answer. <laughs> so can we come and hang out and make a puppet of ourselves? <laughs> Absolutely. We always make a puppet that looks quite nice. It's amazing to see uh, it happening. It's no, um, I want one. <laughs> Andy, how do we make this happen? You're the one that's uh, really, making these things happen. I know. I want, I want to make one of ourselves so we can just... There, there are somewhere on the panel. Yeah, there are companies online, too, that uh, that are... Like, there's an artist in... Colorado, I think, uh, that that's like their bread and butter is making look-alike puppets. So um, there, oh, there are definitely people that specialize in that. <laughs> I know that seems really egocentric, but I'm like, ooh, let's try. how do I yeah, get out I of like working? I'm trying to get out of working personally, so I'm just going to find someone to mimic me. As oh, a no? that would too be much? excellent. Yeah. That is a, that's a Netflix show right there. Yeah, Because yeah. I don't realize that you've been replaced by a puppet. The entire time it's a puppet, yeah. and it's not actually me. Yes. I'm always yes. trying to find an easy route. <laughs> Sorry. No, no worries. But I, I think that is an interesting uh, point as far as in deciding a puppet design, part of it is what is the technique? Because, you know, what? how, how does... Each each form of puppetry has a very different feeling to it. You know, hand uh, hand in hand puppets like the Muppets. You know, that's a very direct. Uh, you can get a lot of emotion out of the um, the faces and the. There's a real directness to that that approach. Marionettes are perhaps they're a little more. They can be graceful, but a a little more removed, I would say. Yeah, the distance um, makes yeah, a difference. Yeah, there's a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, even the distance between the puppeteer and and the puppet, it, it just changes the the personality and the the, the sense of what this um, uh, the, the feeling for the audience. Um, same with like direct manipulation. Uh, Louis brought this uh, beautiful picture. <laughs> Audiences can't see, but um, okay. this chimpanzee puppet that's uh, direct manipulation and. Um, three that, people manipulation. Yeah, three-person yeah. three manipulation is, is one that, uh, you know, you can get so much uh, real subtle gestures and, and a real sense of, um, of subtle movement in, in those kind of puppets. So each one of those really creates a different uh, feeling for the puppeteer and for the audience and a different set of challenges. Um, so you'd also have to figure out what kind of puppet you want yeah, to be. Yeah, I was going to say, so because as a novice, <laughs> I didn't realize, I knew a marionette and I knew the hand puppet. What else is there? Because you were talking about projection. There's a shadow, shadow puppetry okay. and there's object theater, which is now uh, very popular. And there's um, rod puppets and there's... Um, this may be too much to ask. Can you explain <laughs> exactly what that is? Because like, when you talk about object, what does that involve? You talked about um, there's three people that can coordinate what... what I'm all over the place. <laughs> I'm all over the place trying to learn. Yes, yes. Uh, so the three-person technique, uh, a lot of sort of inspired by uh, a Japanese technique called bunraku. Uh, and it's uh, there are three people. Usually it's like one person on the head and right hand. Um, there's another person on the feet and another person on the left hand. And they um, that sometimes switches up, but that's sort of the end. So they can really... And usually the joints are 
all articulated. So you can get a really, you know, natural movement out of that that technique. Uh, so are those are those pretty large? In uh, size yeah, or okay, yeah, wow, yeah. that's not big, so yeah, what, the the original bunrakus. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were, um, but I mean, you can get different sizes. It yeah. just depends on the design okay. of the show and the um, the puppets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the object theater is uh, is really you take objects and uh, manipulate them, and it's it's really yeah okay <laughs> yeah. okay so make it can come to life with yes. okay okay, um, okay. and usually <laughs> with object theater the the particular objects might have. Um, uh, be connected to a certain idea, or you know, they're a metaphor for something else that the okay. you know in the story that you're trying to tell. So, okay. um, and uh, shadow puppetry is shadows, yeah. uh, but but can be giant puppetry. There are you know puppeteers that use masks and then have the full body mm-hmm. plus the mask that makes the character on top of their heads. Uh, so was that like the polar bear from Coca-Cola? Would he be? That would be a body puppet. Oh, so see, I'm learning so many things. Yeah. Wow, yeah. So the costume characters are in that body body puppet uh, okay. range. So, okay. Yeah. I'm fascinated now. And there's a lot of research also um, um, for the last few decades ago. Uh, you know, shadow puppetry, for example, they used to be sh- uh, screen and shadows and you would look uh, in the front and if you were right. a man in the back, if you were a woman, they would be separating. But now uh, there's a lot of research. You see the actual puppeteers holding the shadow and working with the lamp in his hand and moving the shadow and the shadow is at the back of the stage and at front of the stage. So it's uh, it's fascinating. It's always questioning the relationship between the puppet, the Uh object, and the actor, the manipulator. Uh And in this questioning, it's it's very interesting what's happening and uh, there's a lot of uh, ongoing research about that. And what we must stress, I think, too, is that more and more um, we have to say that puppetry art was always for adults and family, but nowadays, it's for many years, it's always still often seen as a, only for children. Right. But it's, of course, there are exquisite shows for children, but they are... Um, beautiful shows for adults and that's not as known and what we started a few years ago to launch as an idea is uh, often we used as an example uh, cartoon to say to people you know cartoon there's it's for kids but also there's excellent cartoons for um, adults right. and people say oh yeah that's true and now cartoon is recognized as the ninth art. Mm. So we said, why don't we do this with puppetry? So it was our 11th anniversary in Gasselier. So we said, okay, we go for puppetry. Arts are the 11th art. So we're launching that and uh, we use that to, you know, to stress that puppetry arts is uh, such a a great theater form and for adults. (laughs) Well, I was going to say some of these things sound like it takes a lot of choreography between each of the different, if it, especially if it's multi-people, multi-persons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> multi-people, I like that. I'm just going to say, I make up words, just so you know, I'm really good at this job <laughs> and I make up words throughout. Um, but yeah, that sounds like a lot of choreography has to be played, especially I know in that you were talking about the Japanese form, I'm, I'm guessing that is exactly how it has to go. They have to practice almost their marks and their um, movement in, into whatever Well, you have be. to spend 
10 years on the feet and then you move to wow. the left arm for 10 years and then afterwards you might be the master dealing with the head. Oh, you know, it was wow. very, very... Um, t- um, Don't you also have to sweep the floor for 10 years before all that? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but it's, it, this is the original Bunraku, but now right. this technique has been transformed in uh, all sorts of um, wow. new ways. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, very demanding uh, learning It's like often it's compared to a musical instrument to right. manipulate a puppet. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Except for every puppet you pick up is like learning a new instrument. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. talking about these different forms. I would think you would have mm-hmm. to specialize in each one for a little while to like learn that over again. Yeah. Well, and I think just also the construction can be, you know, one one puppeteer from the center that I'll, I'll never forget, Lorna Halley. Uh, she was our head puppeteer for many years, and she would, uh, when she was presented with a new puppet, she would pick it up and immediately just start playing with it and just try different things yeah. and, and be like, okay, how does this puppet work? And she would stretch it to its limits in order to be like, okay, what, what are the peculiarities of this puppet? How is it moved? How is it jointed? Like, what can I do with it? And that was always like, Like, what's the potential for this object? Let me figure that out. Mm-hmm. And that was always so inspiring to me. And and I think that's that's one of the joys of puppetry is you can be like, okay, what's the potential in, in this object? How do I make this puppet really come to life? And each one is really different and is different depending on the technique that's used, um, but also just the particular construction techniques as well. So. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that and by like being able to communicate mannerisms with movements that you right. do. It blows my mind. We have a little bit more for you listeners, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Quip. When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new Smart Electric Toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. The Quip Smart Brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth, so you can track when you're brushing, get tips, you can earn points, and you can redeem those points for rewards. Already have a Quip? Upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the features you know and love. And beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine equal-friendly solar battery charger to power your equip with sunshine, and the refresh bag to bring you good oral care habits everywhere you go. Plus, you can get brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered from $5, and shipping is free. How smart is that? Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go to getquip.com slash stuffmom right now to get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash stuffmom. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash stuffmom. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night. 
And it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played. Hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously, it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code MOM at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Let's get back to the interview. So before we wrap up here, I would love if... Um, both of you, I know you've got like the um, 15-year anniversary and you've just opened up um, a center. Like what what things are going on right now that people could look to and what are you looking forward to in the future other than the 11th art? <laughs> I'm looking towards developing a partnership with the Center of Puppetry Arts in Atlanta. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> and I'm looking to help um, creation, to help the puppeteers to achieve their their dream, their project. So if the house and what we do uh, can push them, give, give them encouragement, that's what I look for because I know the beauty of the results will be mesmerizing and I want, I'm a programmer because I want to have more people see and realize what puppetry can do. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm also looking forward to a partnership <laughs> at the Center uh, for Puppetry Arts. Uh, we're uh, have things going on all year round <laughs> and uh, and really I want to find ways to connect our this amazing place that we have in Atlanta to the world um, and to really find you know there's there's so much such a rich uh, world of puppetry uh, and finding ways to bring that here to uh, to showcase it um, is, is really my goal. <laughs> awesome. You guys have, um, do you have camps? Is that, or to we teach do, children? We do have things? a camp. Uh, yeah, we uh, we have so much programming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, I hear uh, about wonderful. a lot of things that's happening that's really amazing and I just can't believe I haven't gone yet. Yes, yeah, come. please oh, do. Please yeah, we have a uh, great no, museum. <laughs> uh, we have uh, uh, some international companies uh, coming right. in. Uh, there's an Australian coming in in February. Okay. Uh, and uh, we've got museum programming all the time, uh, family programming all the time. We're just about to open up our uh, uh, annual Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, Christmas uh, time. Yeah, I know. It's already, <laughs> it's already here. Right. <laughs> so where can we find you on the interwebs? <laughs> Um, uh, castelier.ca. Okay. Yeah, castelier means puppeteer. It means uh, the person who worked in the Castellet, which is the puppet theater in French. Oh. So castelier means puppeteer. Okay. And uh, www.puppet.org, which oh. is the center's website. Simple. That's like great find. Oh, yeah, that's very, yeah. yeah. <laughs> find you immediately. Yeah. That's, um, that's awesome. And, and listeners... Definitely go check out if you're near either of these centers. Go check them out. May I ask you a question? You're an actor, an actress? Yes. Would you work with puppets? Have you been in a production with puppets? I have, yes. Uh, much more of the like monster coming after you 
variety. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I have, um, in case it wasn't clear, I go to the Center of Puppetry Arts pretty regularly, and I've made some puppets there, but um, I have no real uh, experience beyond that. Um, but very interested, yeah, I would love to to work with them more. This is this was definitely her idea. She was really excited about doing all these things and has talked about Dark Crystal and how much she loves it. So Yes, which is the interesting thing about that, going back to your point about how a lot of people, at least where we are, uh, associate puppets with children. Um, I had a friend who I made her watch that. Not me. And she was so upset at me because she's like, it's puppets. It's supposed to be happy. And I said, nuh-uh, not always. Um, so I think it is changing um, yeah. as we are more exposed to it and also as we more recognize it. Because I think some people just don't think of puppets when they see them in bigger Hollywood movies or TV shows. They don't realize that that's a puppet. Right. Mm -hmm. I will say when I watched Lily, how it represented different personalities of that one man. And it was like, what, five different characters? It was was pretty. I was like, huh, that's really thought-provoking. I didn't think about how this was extensions of himself. Have you ever seen the movie? No. You're going to have to go watch it. It's really good. Yeah. I forgot how much I love that movie. Okay. Okay. Um, That's awesome. Thank you. I'm really, because I didn't know anything about this. I was like, Annie, this is all you. Now I'm really excited and have to come visit. You should. And Louisa's Festival in March is phenomenal. So Thank you. That's awesome. So where is it? Is it in? Montreal. Montreal. Okay. Guess where we're going and then. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> we try to write up trips. Yes. This is where we're coming. I would happily do yes. that. <laughs> yes, thank you both so much for coming. Thank, thank you very you. much. This brings us to the end of our interview. Unfortunately, we had some time constraints, so right. we would have kept going and going and going. I had so many more questions. I know. I, I did. Was, you got really into it at the end. I was like, yes, I it's did. happening. I like, oh, yeah, and this and this and this. I feel like we had a connection. That one yes. point we were talking about Lily. That's what I, we were talking about. I think you did. I feel very happy about this. And um, as we said... Any listeners who are ever in those areas, Montreal or Atlanta, and I'm sure around the world, please please write in if you have a similar center where you are. Um, check them out. They're really cool. I haven't been to the one in Montreal, but I can feel in my bones. It's very cool, and we're planning. Oh, on. yeah, we're going to go. I feel like this is definitely an episode happening in, in March. Yeah, so we'll be there. <laughs> we're just going to go ahead and say, yes, that's happening. Uh, and we'll probably have a bit more to say about this later, but that is all for today. Thank you, guys. Yes, thanks so much to our interviewees for coming in. Um, Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Andrew Howard. You're amazing. Um, And thanks to you for listening. And as always, you can write in at our email address, stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou. We would love to hear from you. Yes, please. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality? at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism, you're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. 
Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s, with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal, from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.